horror fam, best friends, schoolish nights, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe Mertens, and you may be wondering, who the hell is Joe Mertens? Well, you may know me from the kind of funny community, the horror fan community, Mark Freeman's Zoom calls, or horrible haikus from kind of funny's in review episodes. But this isn't about any of that. This is about horror, cosmic horror, folk horror, slashers, the horror adjacent thrillers, the supernatural, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I intend to sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so that we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. So to kick things off, let me introduce my friend and very first guest, Madeline Stanley. Welcome to the show, Madeline. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad this worked out. I've been, uh, you know, dragging my heels on a little bit of getting this started and it's all finally coming together. So very cool. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, Madeline, who are you? Why are you here? Yeah. Uh, I'm Madeline. I am also a kind of funny best friend. I think that's how we met. And we've been exchanging many horror opinions. Joe will not leave me alone about Malignant. Not I do all. not like it. It's not, this episode is not about Malignant. No, no not at all. <laughs> I do like a James Wan film normally, but the the silly over the top horror is like not generally my vibe. I appreciate Malignant for what it is. And I like that other people like it. Um, but yeah, I'm a big horror fan. I have been for a long time. Um, I like all sorts of horror movies from, yeah, the cosmic horror to the slasher to um, paranormal stuff. I've always kind of been interested in it. Um, and I think today we're going to talk about one of my favorite horror films, Halloween 3. Yes, absolutely. That is the uh, the initial episode of this run. Uh Focusing around 1982's Halloween 3, Season of the Rich, uh, written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, apparently, Carpenter and I think Deborah Hill also wrote on this thing, but uncredited. Is that Does that sound about right? Yeah, so I believe um, a science fiction author initially wrote uh, something that does not look even remotely what we ended up seeing on Halloween 3. <laughs> and Tommy Lee Wallace kind of did a rewrite. And then I think John Carpenter did rewrites on that and they kind of passed it back and forth and uncredited from there. Um, him and Deborah Hill added some punch ups that then the initial sci-fi author that wrote it, like requested not to be associated with it anymore. Oh yeah. I did read about <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think his, his vision was a lot more comedy than they ended up going. Um, and uh, in a, in a quite a few different directions. Nice, nice. It's one of the things I noticed this time around and, you know, just kind of taking notes and pausing and, you know, just looking a little bit more critically. This is absolutely some folk horror through a 1982 lens, isn't it? It's, yeah. you've got the isolated community with, uh, you know, the people that are, you know, maybe a little standoffish or watchful and uh, yeah, yeah. It's um, love it. <laughs> I do too. It's very like yeah, um, basically entrenching yourself in a in a community that doesn't want you there necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many themes in Halloween three that kind of weren't appreciated at the time. I think it's so interesting because it it absolutely bombed when it came out. Like people did not like it. 
Um, it's actually like on Robert Ebert's like most hated films of all time list. <laughs> um, which come on, Robert, come on. Um, yeah, but you know, Ebert is while he's like the everyman film critic, is sometimes he's you know got some bad takes. Let's be fair. But I do feel like a lot of the messages that they were kind of saying in that film were kind of ahead of its time. Like it, ha- it's. It's so interesting to see a horror film with like such an anti-capitalist message. Like, I feel like they were talking about with Cochran and his turning. He was kind of criticizing how they turned Halloween into this like super consumer Mm -hmm. uh, holiday and that it's supposed to be about terror and horror. And we've really changed it to just be about the masks and like flipping that back on the people and being like, you know, if all you care about is buying masks, I'm just going to kill everyone. Yeah, we just um, want the hills <laughs> to run red with the blood of children. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. And sort of a look at like a big brother town. Like mm-hmm. I can totally see Amazon being at that point somewhere where they make everyone live in the town and work at their factories and just exchange everyone out for robots because it's more uh economically expedient to just remove everybody and replace them with robots. I mean, they are absolutely headed in that direction with Amazon. So it's terrifying as that is, but, uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I know that I said I didn't want to just kind of completely recount the plot, but uh, I'd like to kind of use that as sort of our uh, North Star as we go through all of this, uh, yeah, totally. just to kind of keep us on track, so to speak. Um, I, I will say the first thing that always grabs me with this right off the bat is the that wonderful 1982 shot on a Commodore 64 uh, computer graphics with the scan lines coming in and uh, creating the pumpkin. And then you get those wonderful, nasty, nasty John Carpenter synths as well. Yes. Oh, God. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love what? it. I think something that people don't appreciate John Carpenter enough for is his amazing music and his scores. Like the Halloween score is obviously iconic. Um, There's like no disputing that, but this score for Halloween three is also really interesting. Like Mm -hmm. using only synths essentially the entire time, like really embracing that science fiction technological aspect that like very cold, menacing tension building score and then, yeah, t- Tommy Lee Wallace, like, paying homage to the openings of Halloween 1 and 2 with the with the digital version of the pumpkin is, like, such a nice touch. Just really, like, you can tell, I think, um, that Tommy Lee Wallace really loves the horror and, like, the horror community in general, all horror films. I feel like there's so many homages you see to past Halloween films, Halloween 1 and 2, mm-hmm. and also other films like Invasions of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, um, yeah wasn't that like shot in the same town or something like that. Yeah. The original one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's so cool. I think there's obviously like a lot of care put in this movie and I love films made by horror fans for horror fans. Cause you can just tell that they like love what they're making mm-hmm. and appreciate where horror comes from, I guess. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, the next thing that hits me is that the, the, the opening scene then once we get past uh you know the the credits and all that this dude is running for his life and he nearly causes the plot not to happen by dropping the mask in the very first fucking shot 
<laughs> he's stumbling around this road, looking back, and he's not doing the best job of really concealing himself as he's running for his life. No. But uh, that said, it's just, it's great. It's, I, I can't even hate on it. It's, no. And then just the guys in the suits, you know, they're the perfect silent terror, you know. Um, you know, whenever they pop up in a shot, you get that fun little uh, sense stinger. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you see them from behind step into frame as uh, they're watching something happening. Um, but I, I also just just love how cold and off-putting they are. And you know something's off in the very beginning, especially when you see the one looking up from the El Camino at the car rolling towards him as it's about to crush him and he barely reacts. It's... Yeah. I, I think it's such a good setup because I do think it's a little weird, right? Mm -hmm. Like it kind of puts you off balance. You're like, this is what movie did I come to see? Um, I thought this was about Michael Myers or, or teens or anything. And you get something completely so different to start with. And it really puts you off balance. And then the score too is so, such a different um, vibe that you're really, I think, put on edge at the very beginning of the movie. Like, what did I even come into watching who are these people and they don't really give you a lot of answers for a while which i kind of like because you're really left oh, yeah. wondering what are these people doing and what is their motive yeah it's kind of like my favorite type of science fiction where you're just dropped into a particular world with no context for anything and you just kind of have to pick things up as you go and it's in some ways the uh, storyteller just um expecting that you're not an idiot and letting you figure things out for yourself, which is nice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Give us uh, that respect at least. And I think too, like one of my favorite things that I think makes this film um, completely rewatchable for me is like, once you do know kind of where the movie ends up going, you can kind of pick up all the little things along the way mm. that change how you, how you watch it. And I think that's really something that makes, um, it's so much fun to watch it again and pick oh, yeah. apart those little details. Yeah. You know, no future spoilers quite yet, but um, there's a point where, you know, things definitely uh, flip pretty well late in this film. And then when you're rewatching it, you're trying to think, okay, when did this actually happen? And we'll, we'll get there, but uh, yeah, absolutely. It's just imminently rewatchable for sure. Um, and then, you know, we get some wonderful sympathetic weather and then the eight more days till Halloween, the, the stupid silver sham shamrock ad. Uh, stupid. Come on. Oh, come Joe. on. It's, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You called it stupid, but it's stupid. Amazing. Yes. Yes. To be fair. I, um, yeah. How could they have made something more iconic and insidious at the same time? Mm -hmm. I cannot see any countdown to Halloween without singing that song in my head. Now, oh, absolutely. No matter what. Yeah. They, they couldn't have picked a more perfect uh, tune for it, uh, for the ad than, you know, London bridges. Uh, mm -hmm. It just in itself, what is, or no, I'm thinking of a different one because that what I'm thinking of is about the plague. No. Um, but still, still it's, you know, creepy children's tune for a movie about ultimately killing a bunch of kids. Uh, and then I, I, I will say, I'm an absolute sucker for the type of shot in a horror movie where somebody gets up to investigate a noise and there's nothing there. And then they come back into the room and it defies all logic 
and all geography, but somebody just pops up out of the woodwork in their face. <laughs> They're suddenly yes. there. There's absolutely no reason how they could have been there, but we get the guy who is trying to evade the, uh, you know, the, the, the dudes in the suits and, um, he just kind of passes out from no apparent injury. I don't know. Just the, I think the sheer terror yeah. of, of, of leaving that town. Um, it is so strange. Like, I think that plays still into like, what is happening? Yeah. Why is he passed out? And why is he clutching this mask? Um, I feel like we have to address the masks because I another iconic thing. There's so many, I think they did a really good job with the imagery in this <laughs> film, especially coming from a series where the Michael Myers mask was also super iconic and the pumpkin at the beginning. And then they, they, they brought another banger after another banger with those Don Post's masks mm -hmm. being just the perfect combination of those three. Yes, I'm glad you're very much aware of Don Post. And it's like, God, yep. just this overall style. When I saw this film for the first time, I'm like, God, this looks kind of familiar. And then I'm like looking at the credits and I'm like, it's Don fucking Post. Yes. He's like the king of, you know, the 70s, 80s Halloween masks. And yeah. That, that was super They're cool. They're so cool. I, I think one of them There's was a... like a repainted Don Post mask. And then the other ones were like slightly developed from ones that had already been in circulation. Yeah, I believe and... the witch and the skull were already kind of in production, but they tweaked them a little bit. And okay. then the pumpkin one they made specifically for the movie. Nice. And there's a store near me um, in Burbank, California called Halloween Town. And they actually have a full set of the original Don Post masks you can buy. I think it's like $1,200 to buy all three. <laughs> but I, I, pass, I pass by them often and think, when I have a spare $1,200, I will be purchasing these. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. And then, you know, of course, we move on to the hospital from here. Um Dr. Chalice. Like oh, I said, Dr. Chalice. Yeah, or actually, no, he's at home first. We, we learned very on that he has a long-suffering ex-wife, and um, yeah, yeah, he shows up after drinking. He's got these shitty presents for his kids where the, you know, the former missus has already one-upped him because yes. he just can't get his shit in a pile. And then immediately his beeper goes off. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, incidentally, Chalice uh, is a lightweight, soft clothing fabric uh, made of cotton, wool, or synthetic yarns. Um, where he's supposed to be like man of action, right? But he's a you know soft, lightweight fabric. Ultimately, <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, they really set him up as a shitty dad. Mm -hmm. Um, they they're not really giving us a lot to work with. And even his wife's like, oh, you're going to go to the hospital drunk? Good. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't do that. And he kind of shakes her off like, oh, my nagging ex-wife or mm -hmm. separated wife. Mm -hmm. um, it's so it's such an interesting way to start his character, because I feel like um, a lot of times you kind of want to build up your character as like really sympathetic. So you're kind of with them through the whole experience. But they start him off as like this deadbeat dad who is a drunk doctor and you're kind of like am i gonna like this character and tom atkins somehow makes it work he pulls it off he does 
but wow, in my first viewing, it took a while before I was on board. Um, and also of course, his ex-wife from uh, the original Halloween, basically playing an aged up character of her character from that film. Yes. Yeah. I love her. Oh yeah. She's great. Um, yeah. It's just slightly older, slightly grayer and just like she is on the phone in Halloween, just, you can just hear the sigh. You can feel the sigh, right? The attitude. She oh, has yeah. the best attitude. She hands down has some of my favorite lines in Halloween one. Um, and I love the attitude she brings to all her carpenter roles. Cause she is um, a longtime collaborator mm-hmm. with him. So you see her in the fog as well. Um, and she, her character is always someone I love watching because even the small amount of time that she's in Halloween three, I'm like all eyes on her <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or whenever she's on the phone, it's like, yes. Yeah. All those little beats are so iconic. That's great. Um, the beeper. I, I love how big and clunky it is, but I mean, it may seem old as hell, but like on call doctors, a lot of them still use like really old school beepers because they need something that's like a dedicated device that isn't going to crap out on them like a cell phone or whatever. I just, it's so funny because you look at this in a 40 year old film and it's like, I know doctors that absolutely still use just about that vintage of paging system. Yeah. It's It's weird. It's interesting because I think the movie as a whole is kind of like, addresses technology but for something that is kind of talking about the technology of the 80s it doesn't feel like the most kind of dated movie to me like I don't I don't feel like even though there is that beeper kind of like you're saying that still exists and we have that really old school computer at the beginning Mm -hmm. it kind of almost feels a little bit timeless to me as far Mm -hmm. as where when it's taking place um because there's not so many obvious like flip phones or right. um stuff like that like it feels i like the timeless feel of it like it could be happening anywhere at any time yeah that absolutely works um and then you know he absolutely must be like a functional alcoholic because <laughs> he doesn't appear to have been drinking but you know he's speaking with you know the ex-wife and she just backs away from his face and makes the comment about doctoring while drinking. Uh, so yeah, functional alcoholic, maybe it's his maintenance drug. Um, who knows, but <laughs> who he's knows? not exactly stumbling or anything. No, no, no. Um, and then, you know, we're, uh, quickly reminded when he gets to the hospital, uh, when he's meeting with, uh, nurse Agnes there that, um, you know, through their back and forth, this is a very different time. It's, um, <laughs> he gets a little handsy with her. She gets a little handsy back. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, she brings, I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I did have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think that Dr. Chalice has slept with every woman at the hospital? Because I feel like the implication is that he has definitely the, <laughs> um, the assistant from the morgue. um, I don't know. Agnes may be the one that got away. Um, the one that got away. <laughs> but uh, I think that might have been that actress's final role, too. Um, mm-hmm, I think so. But she's fucking 
great. I, I love the attitude that she gives back to him. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, again, for as much as a shit heel as he ends up being, at least there are others around him that make sure to give back as good as he gives them. So that's at least it's somewhat encouraging. True. And actually you're kind of reminding me, like maybe it doesn't feel timeless. If you consider all of the things that he gets away with. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. I, I think that's not... the one thing that very <laughs> that much makes us the... feel 1982. Yeah. Drinking and driving and the sexual harassment at mm-hmm. work, maybe is stuff that should not feel timeless. So I'm going to go ahead and retract my previous <laughs> statement. <laughs> that was something that I was just listening to on another podcast. I, I can't even remember. It may have been John Stewart's podcast. Um, uh, you know, to go along with this uh, problem with show about how, you know, the drinking and driving wasn't taken seriously until moms against drunk driving, unless there was like yeah. a major spotlight on it that brought it into, you know, the public consciousness there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I guess maybe in 82, it was a lot more acceptable. I don't know. Um, we move on from there to this poor, I don't know, scared to death in shock dude in his hospital bed. And he's whacked out on Thorazine. You know, he's, you know, mm-hmm. feeling pretty mellow there. And we get one of the dudes in suits. And you think maybe he's just going to get his face pulverized, but then the finger and the thumb come out and slowly inch their way down. And the dude gets his fucking skull ripped apart. One of the coolest first kills in a movie. I think really a bizarre way to kill someone, but very impactful. Like that makes you felt that when that guy's fingers went into his eyes and broke his skull you're like that is gnarly yeah you see his poor feet kicking away under the covers and uh and that actually comes back with another kill later on but uh but yeah um and then for whatever reason the dude in the suit decides he's gonna wipe his gloved hands off on you know one of the curtains around the bed and i'm thinking to myself you're already wearing black gloves just leave <laughs> as soon as you possibly can, but eh, gives us an opportunity for Agnes to pop in and wonder who the hell he is and what he's doing there. Um, but yeah, gnarly, gnarly kill. Um, and then of course, Agnes starts screaming and we get, uh, you know, good old napping Dr. Chalice in the doctor's lounge spraying up sleepy and sleep addled as fuck but he's a man of action so he's going to do a light jog down the hall and uh basically chase after this dude i the security at this hospital is not good no How not at all get in? and no one caught him when he was leaving either no no everybody just kind of is staying to the side like he would be this normal dude walking away with bloody black gloves um but again, the light jog to try to chase him down. I guess we have to give him enough time for, uh, you know, self-immolation. But um, also very cool. Yeah, yeah. I was not expecting that. Was expecting him to just flee or, you know, whatever in my initial watch. But um, yeah, that was pretty dope. Um, Definitely. I think that's one of that is like one of those first big surprises that 
keeps you on your toes as far as what's happening because I think it's easy to assume like you're in the Halloween franchise. You already probably kind of know that Michael Myers isn't going to be in this if you've been praised of uh, what it's about, but you're not sure and you go, oh, this guy is a killer too. Maybe he's not wearing a mask, but he's going around murdering people. But then when he does self-immolate, you're like, okay, this is something even different than I was expecting because this guy just killed himself and blew up a car outside of a hospital. And like, that's not what I was expecting. Not at all. Not at all. And obviously people are in a little bit of shock, not the least of which uh, Dr. Chalice, you know, he's just sitting there in the lounge while the cops and the, you got a fireman drinking a cup of coffee and, you know, and they're just kind of all doing their thing. Um, I'm trying to think, do we move on from there back to the hospital room where um, uh, Ellie, the uh, the dude's daughter, shows up? And uh, yeah. yeah, they've got their quick little exchange. And she looks shocked as hell when they lift up those covers. And um, yeah, and then... Well, and she says something along the lines of, like, that's it. Just a crazy guy came and killed my dad. There has to be more to it than this, because that's not something that happens. Um, people don't just come into the hospital, kill one person, and then blow themselves up. I mean, Which I think is not. good instincts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good instincts there. Um, yeah. Um, and this cop is like, oh, it's drug nuts. It, it's people on drugs. That, that's it. It's, it's very 1982 chief of yes. police type of attitude in California. I, I would blame say. everything on PCP yes. and go with it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, then there's that, you know, little scene in the hallway where, you know, he sees her crying and she looks back over her shoulder and then they just kind of go their separate ways. And then it's down to the morgue to go uh, see Teddy. And she's got her little piles of ash. And I have in my notes, pile of ash. Uh, this pile of ass, meaning chalice, uh, kind of gets around. And it's very clear that there, there <laughs> is, there's, there's definitely been something going on with Teddy before. Um, well, especially when she, when he does leave a little bit later in the scene, she like gives him a really weirdly tender kiss on the cheek. Right. And it's such a weird vibe, but I kind of also find it, their relationship is so funny to me um, because it is such that very like 80s man, 80s film relationship where she's like, have dinner with me sometime. Yeah, they've, they've definitely <laughs> hooked like, up sure. a time or two. Yes. Um, it's weird, but, uh, you know, she's poking around in the little piles of ash and yeah, it's who knows. And he gets oddly quiet when somebody else walks by when they're having their conversation. It's like, that dude doesn't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're yeah, they're they're a whole thing. And then I think we shift from there to the bar, which apparently is a real pirate themed bar. That uh, yeah, it's not too far from here, and I kind of want to go. I just looked it up when I was rewatching the movie to talk to you about it. And it's only like 40 minutes from here. And I'm definitely going to try to go soon. Oh, that's I will report back if it's, if it's cool. Yeah. Get it like a really shitty low rent beer or like a well drink and just, you know, camp out for a little bit. 
that's that's kind of seems in keeping with this dive but um i i know it's not the original location i had read something about how it moved just like a couple of doors down but hey close mm-hmm. enough and they still have all the original paintings so that's totally worth cool. going oh god yeah and that's where ellie finds dr chalice and <sighs> she brings up papa and uh, you know oh, all I can think of is uh, you know the Simpsons and uh, Nelson and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Papa yeah um, oh my gosh it's, okay that's that's a choice but um, yeah so. I really like this scene I think that it really illustrates one of one of my favorite things about this film and then the previous Halloween films um, as a photographer. Um, I think Dean Cundy is one of these unsung cinematographers. Like, his work is so good. And you can see it a lot in this scene where um, Chalice is kind of talking to Ellie, and he's being lit up in the scene by, like, this this TV that's kind of, like, flashing back and forth as he's, like, talking about really something serious. He's like, and what they said to us was they're going to kill us all. And he's saying this like really serious, cool thing to her. And you're getting this tense music and this lighting is like really lighting him very dynamically. And I think Dean Cundy really elevates this movie for me, as far as the cinematography, as well as the previous um, Halloween's doing really interesting shots, um, lighting things in like really dynamic ways and doing some really creative stuff where I think a lot of people might have played it a little bit more straight. He's really kind of bringing some flair to it that mm-hmm. I love. I mean, you got to say, uh, these first few Halloween films, they look a lot better than they have any right to. Um, they do. You know, because horror was definitely considered low rent fare for quite some time. And to a certain degree, it still is by a lot of folks, unfortunately. But uh you know, they they definitely were able to make the most of their budget with these films, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess they go from here to her father's, like, novelty shop. And there's that comment about, I bet you shop at the big mall like the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another anti-capitalist message. Oh, yeah. We have to keep the small businesses in stock um, because... Now they're ruining Halloween, the big corporations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that you picked that up because I don't know that I even noticed any of that. I just kind of let it all wash over me, but it totally makes sense. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. Uh, and I think from here they decide, let's go on a road trip, see what happens in Santa Mira. And he's on the payphone talking to the ex-wife and he's got like a six pack of beer on top of the payphone. Just to reiterate. Oh yes. And he's just, you know, going on about, you know, basically weaseling out of taking the kids for the weekend or whatever, but you know, I'll be back, you know, the next weekend or whatever. And yeah. In case you weren't sure that Dr. Chalice was kind of a shitty guy, he is abandoning his children on their weekend with him to get drunk and drive to a town with a girl he just met to investigate a, a murder of sorts. Yes. Uh, we're like, that's a weird choice. A l- young lady who's probably a good 20, 25 years, his junior. <laughs> yes. Um, not at all creepy or in any way. Yeah. Wrong or bad. No, 
no, no, no. Yeah, the this whole, is completely normal. Yes. The whole May, December thing, you know, sure. There's, you know, instances where it's not exactly the end of the world, but in this instance, it's just creepy. Um, it is. It's yeah. the only thing I, I feel like I can kind of get on board with a lot of his character traits. I think Tom Atkins, like I said before, does a good enough job where like, I'm kind of liking Dr. Chalice, even though he's a little bit of a womanizer. Mm-hmm. He's maybe not that great of a dad. I feel like he seems like he does care generally about um, what's happening to people. And he doesn't, he didn't, wasn't happy. This guy got murdered and he no. has like some kind of moral compass. Yeah. Um, I do feel like his like, his womanizing does get a, like edges very close to being like, okay, I don't know. Let's, let's pull, let's rein this character trait in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that more often than not, it seems to be rewarded or at least accepted. But uh, again, 1982, very, very <laughs> different time. Um, so they're in the car and, you know, he's helping with the navigation. I think she's driving. It's her car, but then I don't know what he's using to help navigate because he clearly has a link to the Wikipedia page for Santa Mira. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's going on and on about uh, Silver Shamrock and the town and the town's history. And then they do roll into town. And whoever did the set dressing for this town put up every single sign and logo that they possibly could to basically just say, Irish as much as they possibly could with everything. And, you know, I don't hate it. It's just as on the nose as you possibly can be with it. And maybe that's why I love it so much. I don't know. Yeah, I was, um, it is, it's interesting because I was talking to someone about this movie and they were saying that they thought it was like almost too like so irish that they felt like it was like anti-irish and i didn't really pick up on that i didn't feel like there was like anti-irish but they do really play into the stereotypes like the accents that that these people have are so like over the top yes 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 (laughs) that was a really good one (laughs) and there's that comment about irish halloween masks in california (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? I don't know. It's uh and then they get to the hotel after driving around town and you get the cool shots of the security cameras, you know, on the little motors following them. And I'm looking at the way those are wired these past couple of times that I've watched this and I'm like, that's not gonna hold up in the weather. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, they're in California. I suppose, but you get one bad rainstorm and it is northern California, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I don't buy it, but, uh, it is cool. You know, like you said, the, you know, constant big brother being watched Mm -hmm. and you have the shots of the, you know, suspicious town folk and all that fun town curfew. Oh yeah. Yeah. And also that's Jamie Lee Curtis on the PA, which is awesome. It's such a good little cameo. I know. And then once, once you learn that fact, you can't unhear it you know that that's her because yeah but you know they they finally uh get to the hotel and they're getting their room and everything and this sidewalk is like it it, it is the sidewalk of death 
because Chalice <laughs> gets hit, almost gets hit nearly twice. First, you get yes. the Winnebago with the flying bicycle, and then you get Tom Atkins' wife as the, um, uh, you know, Mrs. Gunderson. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. And once you learn that they were married at the time, it's like, oh, uh, this is this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's so <laughs> fun to great. see them play off each other. Mm-hmm. And, and they barely get to. But yeah, this this sidewalk is just kind of played for laughs. And it's again, I, I can't hate it. It's I, I enjoyed <laughs> the hell out of it because you get the overbearing salesperson uh, popping out of the Winnie and uh, uh, the kid. As the kid's riding off on his bike, does he flip his mom off? Yes, he does. Okay. Um, it's it's great. I this family is such a such a I don't even know how to describe them because they're horrible. Yeah. But like you also kind of love them in a way. Like they're such like that midwestern, like kitschy family that you mm-hmm. would see in a in a, like a classic horror movie, right? Of like the wife who's kind of overbearing and too much and the guy who's just like dragging his family along mm-hmm. and then this little kid who could not give less of a fuck about what his parents mm-hmm. are doing <laughs> mm-hmm. also this kid came along with them on this business trip clearly plucked out of school to do so in october <laughs> yeah. I, i'm just now realizing this but something's not adding up here. You know, maybe he was, you know, one of the original homeschooled in the eighties. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they clearly drove across the country to do this. Well, when you're, disorder. when you're the number one Halloween mask salesperson, your kids don't have to go to school anymore because you've got it made. Yeah. Private tutors and everything. <laughs> I'm surprised they weren't in the Winnebago as well. Um, so yeah, Chalice goes into the office. He does his little, you know, check through the blotter. He he sees Ellie's dad's name and, you know, he leaves a couple of bucks under there and, you know, they do their check-in. And we get this super gross comment about his clothes holding up for another day. It's <laughs> Well, they also, the guy who runs the hotel is like, you just brought this one bag with you for like your trip. Packers, and she's like Packers, aren't you? <laughs> yes. And she's like, we've had a lot of practice. And I'm like, what does that mean? What could know. it be in there? <laughs> yeah, it's like her makeup kit and that's it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because I feel like she has like a couple of changes of clothes or something. It's. I, well, it is. It is. I think she does change at least twice. So I guess maybe it's just her clothes. Tom Atkins just live in his life. Dr. Chalice. Just yeah. Just with the, the sweaty, sweater. nasty shit and his members only jacket or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that comment just hit me as like, okay, that's gross. It's <laughs> well, that whole scene, I feel like that's, I, I don't know if it's right then or when he comes back from his beer run, because of course this man brought a six pack for, his um trip needs to go get more beer even past town curfew because that's dr chalice i think but whenever they have sex it's like these people do not have chemistry this is like not a a steamy sex scene well i think that Um, was like one of the first scenes they shot together in the entire film too so that's not all like yeah absolutely they have not (laughs) developed 
any chemistry whatsoever. But okay, here's my note that I have about the clothes. Clothes could hold out one more day. Ew, I don't want to be thinking of him in his stank clothes at the end of the film. Um, so yeah, then we get the creepy sexy time with the incredibly young girl who just lost her father again, shit heel, but he makes the comment about, you know, I could go sleep in the car if it makes you more comfortable. And she's like, where do you want to sleep? It. eh, Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. Dr. Chalice. Not cool. Yeah. Just lost her dad. You're investigating (laughs) her father's she's not like emotionally vulnerable or anything no not at all you're not taking advantage of the situation in any way now some may argue okay but she's the one that made that little comment still dude you're so old compared to her come on it's but yes then the liquor store run you know they've got the curfew obviously and yet the liquor store is still open i think about that every time i watch this where yeah. it's like if the town curfew is seven or whatever it was like a six o'clock early six o'clock 6 p.m. why is the liquor store still open because who's going there to shop if everyone has to be inside well it was the town drunk you know because you know he's around <laughs> it's just yeah they're open just, just for, open him. for him yeah yeah they, <laughs> they have a standing appointment um it's it's even it's in and out. It's 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 contactless pickup. So you know they mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. It's weird. Um, and then well, speaking of the town drunk, like his yeah. rant, I think comes right after that. Oh yeah. And I'm like, why did he's been? He we assume he's been living here for a little while, homeless mm-hmm. in this town, and um liquor store stays open just for him so they're at least accommodating to this man if they don't give him a house they at least give him some liquor to live with why does he go on a rant about how they're always watching and then complain about it so quickly to dr chalice only to like regret it instantly it is such a strange choice i think in this movie so it's one of the things where i'm like i don't understand what purpose this served other than to just show how weird this town is yeah and it's definitely the um you know the weird hobo or homeless man who knows too much trope right it's yeah and and that's okay i mean i'm cool with that you know sometimes tropes are fun especially you know when you die soon in horrible fashion um (laughs) yeah so let's see here he's he finishes his um, disease swap with the homeless man and uh, <laughs> learns a little bit more info. And then I think there's almost another collision on the sidewalk. Is it Gunderson coming back from the factory? I think that was earlier because she, whenever she almost hit him, I did. I don't know who she I'm not sure. I can't remember now. I don't know. Cause I think this is in my notes where I have the sidewalk of death because it's uh, something else happens there, but I I'm missing exactly what it was. Hmm. Oh yeah. Because um, Ellie's coming back with her Coke and uh, Gunderson pops out of nowhere and has her little spiel about cutting out the little guy because they do big volume business now and all that. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and then we get um, creepy, sexy time part two. Unfortunately, with yeah, it's like either. no, no, and you 
packed this lingerie. Okay. <laughs> she was like, I don't know what's going to happen on this trip, but we're probably going to fuck. I've decided. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to be like part of her kit. So I don't know. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's strange. And then, um, yeah, we this. Okay, this is where I want to talk about this. This is where I want to talk about the uh, was Ellie an android all along type theory, which I know it's, okay. it's clear she wasn't. But then when mm-hmm. you see the film for at least the second time or other repeat viewings, there's little things here and there where it's like, maybe she could have been because... You know, you get Chalice asking her how old she is, and, well, I'm a lot older than I look. And don't you ever get tired? And, you know, all of that. Which, you know, could just be because you're a 50-year-old man having sex with somebody who's <laughs> probably only about 20. But um, but that said, it's just there's little bits here and there where then later on, I, I think that kind of goes away. So maybe it's something that could have been in like an original draft and they kind of picked and choose a little bit as far as what made it in. But I don't know. There's just, I, I love when you can nitpick a film about theories for what goes on later on repeat viewings. Definitely. And that's, I was saying, that's kind of what I was saying earlier. I do think it's, it's interesting because I think there probably could have been an opportunity. Like he was gone. So we don't know what happened to her mm-hmm. while he wasn't there. And there's several times that happened. So I think any of those times he could have, she could have been swapped out for the Android. The thing that I think is so interesting too, is that like, it's, it makes sense to me that he never notices because they have only known each other for like 24 hours. So if she was acting differently or weird, he wouldn't know that because he has no baseline for who she is or how she acts or know anything about her. Um, and I, I like that about that characterization. Cause I think if a lot, <clears throat> if you knew, I think that if you knew someone really well, you could tell if they were switched out with a, with mm-hmm. a, with a robot or um, an Android or whatever. But when you've just met someone, you know, less than a day ago. Yeah. Yeah, you won't know. Yep, I think that's kind of perfect. Um, and then we get um, we get Gunderson bored with her, you know. Gr- book. She was reading yeah, some book, some yeah. cheesy paperback, and oh, let's grab a hairpin and just pick away at a you know bunch of circuits on the back of this uh, silver shamrock badge, and then we get the super dope misfire. Oh, it's so gross, Joe. Yeah. Especially when the bug crawls out of her mouth. No, thank you. And up and into her hair. Uh, Yeah, you're like, okay, what the fuck is happening? Because, all right, clearly it shot a laser, but then this weird, creepy, supernatural shit starts happening in addition to it. So you get these kind of conflicting things with that where, I don't know, man, first viewing, it doesn't exactly make sense, but it's creepy as fuck. Um, Yeah. And you kind of get more later. The thing that I always wonder about her that really like haunts me is like, how long is she alive for? Because I think she's still alive when they take her from the room and the ambulance to the factory. Mm. Yeah. 
I wonder if she is because I I don't know how that would kill you like just your face getting melted but I don't know like is she still alive are they gonna take her back and replace her with an android or are they just gonna like go kill finish finish her off themselves it's probably the latter but um yeah (laughs) you know it it does kind of leave you to wonder uh, I also love the, what was that? Who cares? And, you know, it's just it's totally ambivalent because it's like, I, I think there, there's a note somewhere about like the times that you can see on the clock radio or whatever about how mm-hmm. like hours have passed before the people from the factory show up to cart Gunderson away. And, um, and here's where we get Cochrane for the first time. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, O'Hurlihy, right? Uh, who's yeah. awesome in RoboCop and uh, Twin Peaks. He's uh, he one of the such car- a good job. Yeah, he's just awesome. Um, perfect as the like somehow corrupt CEO type character. It's just well, he he does really hit that great medium point of like being charming. You can see how he gets people to like kind of lower their defenses and he's very charming, but he has that menacing quality too. And I think it's like a really good balance mm-hmm. to, to, to meet those two in the middle where you're like, Oh he yeah, he definitely does remind you of that. Like CEO type guy that actually had to make connections and stuff to be um, successful, but all also will like, is cutthroat <laughs> and will kill people to get what he wants. I mean, ultimately that ends up kind of being his character on a low level in twin peaks even. And I, mm. I, I love how he, um, you know, finally buys it um, in the second season of that show, but it just super dope and kind of manipulative in that way in that show as well. That's uh, yeah. just kind of how he's typecast, but that's okay. Uh, that's okay. But yeah, it's an interesting entrance where, oh, she's going to get the best medical care that, uh, you know, we can offer. And it's like, why are you here? You run the fucking mask factory. factory. And like, what kind of factory has a hospital in it? They don't. No, no. (laughs) They they may have like a nurse on staff for little boo-boos, but I even doubt that. It's, yeah, that's strange. And I think we go from here to uh, Chalice hopping on the phone to uh, speak with the assistant lady in the morgue, right, Uh, Teddy? Mm -hmm. And, oh, let's see here. He's like, they must have swapped out the bags because all I have here are, like, springs and car parts. Mm -hmm. And I, I love picturing this part of... I love picturing what she's been doing while Chalice has been doing all this stuff because I think like this poor woman has just been like sorting through piles and piles of mm-hmm. machinery, just trying to find and, and yet. Any, anything and she just can't find anything. And she's just like basically rooting around in ashes, kind of like not putting any pieces together or making any sort of conclusion on her own. Uh, here's my take of that. I don't think she's gotten up from that little counter next to the phone. And I think she's been taking like the eraser end of a pencil and just poking through those little dishes with the stuff. And that's all she's really been doing. So, you know, here again, we also get their creepy relationship and about how, Oh, you owe me a bunch of dinners now. (laughs) And then I noticed for the first time 
when I rewatched this again uh, yesterday, just I, I just wanted to see it one more time to keep it super fresh in the head. But we get that little track down to the bug that's under the counter. I had oh, never noticed I've that never before. That. There's a little microphone down there. And that's how oh. you know that um, they know that he has been talking to somebody and yeah. why they send somebody after Teddy later on. It, it all makes sense. Um, well, and then why they, the next couple of times he tries to call out later, he can't get out because they have the phone now they line, know. like rewired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think in original viewings where I hadn't noticed all that, uh, I'm like, okay, it kind of makes sense because they're just, they're on to him. So they're just shutting everything down. No, they were really on to him. They knew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it, I know Teddy's just written the way that she is, but, and it's, probably just consequence of the era of this film but come on he's not that good of a catch you can do better (laughs) you don't think tom atkins is like worth all of these ladies going after him i just don't think he is the lady slayer that we're trying to be told that he is it's i i agree i definitely think Tom, tom atkins circa the fog is though Tom Atkins, I would go for not yeah. Dr. Chalice in Halloween three, because he is like, he's just got a kind of almost skeezy vibe around him. Oh, skeezy but maybe for that's miles. What yeah. These ladies are drawn to for some reason. They, they all have a particular type and it's Chalice. Um, <laughs> and I think we get another shot of a henchman stepping into frame and the little musical stinger again around here. <laughs> and it happens so many times in the film. I'm surprised I haven't made more notes about that, but uh, I, I just love that. It's, it's such a, you know, like John Carpenter Halloween type thing. And well, and, and to go back to like the Dean Cundy thing with his cinematography, he does, I think you would see in a lot of films where she would be center of frame or we would really just be focusing on her. And he uses that negative space a lot perfectly for horror where there's, you're not necessarily always expecting something to be over there, Mm -hmm. but when sometimes there is, and you're like, Oh my gosh, if you do, if you're focusing on her, you might miss the fact that he steps into frame on the left side and all that negative space. And it's just such a, it's utilized so well to build that tension because I do think this movie kind of, is really skirting the horror line as far as like being so suspense suspenseful being the primary thing and then obviously adding a lot of horror at the end but there's so much of that tension at the beginning that i think they play with really well yeah yeah absolutely um i love that here we are you know the past 20 years, you can see how horror has evolved to the point where people know the trope of the negative space and how somebody is going to leap out of it or somebody will back away from the negative space and it will be from behind that the horror comes. Uh, And then that gets played off of in different ways uh, because we all expect it now, but it's still so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then we get to the factory the next day, uh, where they step into the office and they're going to do their little Scooby doing. And, um, 
you know, they've got the lady at the desk. It's like, oh yeah, he absolutely picked up this order and all that. And then, um, what's his face? Is it Buddy? Uh, from the Winnebago's. Yeah. They all come in for their little meeting slash tour and all that. And we get the super forced clapping from the office staff. That's not at all (laughs) awkward. And yeah. Um, but Hey, let's bring our friends along for this lovely plant tour of what is probably a somewhat hazardous factory. Sure. Why not? Everybody seems cool. But also, I think they kind of know that Smiths or Chalice or whatever their names are. Um, yeah, there's a little bit more going on because I think they've already heard the phone call at this point. And um, so they go on their little tour. Um, final processing. Wow. Final I processing. Li- I like that they call a lot of attention to it because it seems really weird in the moment. And then, of course, like by you, the end of the movie, you're like, oh, of course he wanted him to have one that went through final processing mm-hmm. because otherwise this whole plan it doesn't work. But it is so funny to me that um, I don't remember Buddy's wife's name, but she's like final process or he says final processing. What does that mean? And she's like, I don't know. Who cares? Right. Right. <laughs> and I love the attitude. She's like, who? Why are you asking me? I don't know. I'm just here being a rich wife. And then Buddy continues on, like, trying to get his way in there because he's just got to see it. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Cochran, you know, brings up, uh, you know, oh, you know, it's a little of this, a little of that. But it involves volatile chemicals. And I feel like this is where Austin Powers gets that line on their uh, little tour that they're on with the trams because, yeah, it's just, it it feels about the same, but I love the volatile chemicals line. It's like, it, but for final, you, you made the mask. The mask is pink. <laughs> it's essentially yes. done, but you're just going to rub some volatile chemicals all over it. You know, maybe. And then they just spray D all over it. Okay. And send it to the yeah, children that sounds, after that. That sounds about right. <laughs> maybe not even deep. Maybe we're going to go back as far as like DDT or something like that. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's make it extra extra toxic because yeah, you know just, that's the way kids want it that's the way the kids that they want their toys toxic yeah and then chalice starts looking around a little bit and oh we've we've got some people that look exactly like the people that killed your father i think it's time to boogie and mm-hmm. you know she loses her mind because she seizes the station wagon yeah. Which really, really lazy on their part not to hide that station wagon. Yeah, it's, it's they know that she's there and looking for her dad, and they're just like, I don't know, throw a tarp half over it and leave the barn door open. Yes, but only I almost kind of wonder if they wanted. Yeah, exactly. Like, did they want her to see it, or are they just incompetent? Maybe it was designed to provoke the reaction. Yeah, it's like I, an, I wondered that. It's like an inverse Voight Kampf test. Uh, we're definitely going to get this emotional response out of you because it's totally going to ruin your uh, your cover here. Um, so, yes, time to bug out. Too many clearly Android lep- replicants. Um, and then where do they go from here? Oh, oh, it's time to pack in a hurry. Pack what? You had your, you didn't bring anything. <laughs> you had your makeup kit. That was it. I, I think you could get another one. I'm just saying. Um, 
So, yeah, this is where we get Jamie Lee on the phone as the recording of the operator again, you know, um, call cannot be completed as dialed or whatever. And well, I guess Ellie's gone now. This is she got disappeared real quick. Yes. And I love, love, love the shot of him looking back out the hotel room door. And you've got like uh, five androids staring him down. Mm-hmm. And, it's so menacing and creepy oh, yeah. at the same time. If it were a slightly more modern film, it would be even better if multiple uh, androids had the same face. Oh, yeah, in that, that lineup cool. that would have been great but uh but i feel like it in this instance it makes it's still we still don't really know that so like i like that we really don't find that part out and for till like close to the very end of the movie right right and um yeah uh they start charging forward and it, it's time to bounce um and he he gets out of there pretty well and they're just all smashing through the door and all that stuff but um he makes his escape and then promptly eats shit like twice on his way out of the hotel um he probably is drunk so we can't uh, really okay that could be that could be you know maybe um maybe they picked up you know a fifth of the cheapest whiskey ever uh from the all-night liquor store beyond curfew on the way back from the factory um yeah it's it's time to bounce on out of here we got to go they're gonna kill us all but you know let's buy a bottle first um yeah they both have their priorities she needs to pack her one little tiny bag and he Mm -hmm. needs to buy a fifth of whiskey (laughs) and then you know we do get some really dope music during his escape scene um it's it's good it's it's, this is a good really is um, I, I need to look this score up on Spotify or something because this would be some uh, just fun hanging out background music. Um, but uh, yeah, then he eats shit again when he's hiding behind the fence. This very, very see-through fence that I, I, I think they would spot him. I mean, in repeat viewings, we know clearly that they're androids um, or some form of robot. Um I, I don't think they would have a hard time seeing him, but eh, whatever. Um, and then he's like hiding in the clear glass phone booth and they still don't see him as they, you know, roll by. Um, I do wonder if it's like a, a game of like cat and mouse sort of like they're kind of almost herding him back towards the. That's a good call. The factory, because that's where they want him to do everything versus like just capturing him. Maybe um, wouldn't have the same effect as him having to go there to get Ellie because they know he's going to go there to get her. Yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Um, so he does his little sleuthing around here and it makes it in without a lot of noise and all that. And well, then he finds granny and kind of screams at an old woman for a little bit. And I, I personally think he could have been a little kinder, but you know, then <laughs> there's the violent shaking and her whole head falls off. Um, but then I do like that. Like Cochran is Cochran is like in control this whole time. Even mm-hmm. when he's not in control, he acts like he's control in control. And he's like, his only comment is like, it was a really rare and expensive piece and you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, we, we we do get the reveal before that, though, that uh, the men in suits are indeed, you know, 
robots because, you know, for whatever reason, they decided to use orange juice concentrate as the yellow goop that comes out of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why it had to be this sickly pale orange yellow, but uh, it kind of works. It's, you know, it kinda works, yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly gross. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, he's got that fight. He definitely overpowers that one. Uh, we get the goopy shit and then, oh no, it's bad news bears. Cause Cochran's there and there's a ton of the androids. And then the comment that you you know made about, yeah, this is a very, very rare German model. We'll have to find a replacement. And then you know, he's kind of like totally disinterested in the fact that Chalice is there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're still here. Oh, and you know, it, he's mm -mm. very much in his own little world until he doesn't need to be. Um, and then it's time for final processing, right? This is such a cool tracking shot that I didn't notice until the viewing where I was uh, taking notes. Cause it's, it's an uninterrupted shot up until the point where they're watching the video feed with um, Ellie on there. So they go down the stairs Camera moves over. You see them chipping away at the um, Stonehenge. Yes, and then back over to the computer section and all that. Um, yeah, yeah, and it doesn't break away until they point her out on the video feed. Um, that love it. I love lawn tracking shots like that. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, did not expect and that out like of this those, film. Those touches, I think, like I. I'm going to reiterate my love for Dean Cundy are just what I think is that that missing piece that really makes it feel like very well done. Mm -hmm. um, and I just love when they put the care into those like in those shots um, to make them really beautiful like that. It's just so satisfying as a viewer. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think just for just for horror fans in general, it's just one more reminder that this isn't what you typically think of as the cheap shit. It's this, this can be more this, even when it's not, it can be more. And definitely. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. Um, when you have so many low budget horror movies, like I think when you say like low budget horror, you kind of have a certain thought in your mind of like mm -hmm. what that means. But there's so many directors and filmmakers who have made really beautiful mm -hmm. or impactful films for no money. Like even obviously Halloween, I think Halloween 3 had a slightly bigger budget, but like Halloween 1 was made for next to nothing mm -hmm. and it looks gorgeous to this day. Um, same thing with like uh, movies like Saw where they had little, very little money to work with and that movie looks good. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so it's there, there is a way to do a low budget movie that still hits some really good highs and it doesn't have to be like schlocky, I guess. Well, it's the whole, you know, necessity being the mother of invention thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you work with what you have and sometimes that, you know, crucible ends up creating such a, such a wonderful output. So yeah, Definitely. totally agree. Um, then we get the super creepy gas chamber living room set for buddy wife and child the test 
I love how he stroked Buddy's ego to get him into that room. Like, Buddy was like, oh, yeah, I'm so important. I get to give you some notes on your promo materials. And if he had just been a normal person <laughs> who would have left, he could have he could afford go that. But he really played into his um, mm-hmm. status as a salesperson. There's a blank notepad and a pencil. You're so important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see here. Is this... Yeah, this is this is where okay, they actually just go right into it and they force Chalice to watch everything. And uh, you know, he may look like he's having a hard time, but Dr. Chalice, he's an observant man. He is paying attention <laughs> to the buttons that are being pressed and yes. and he's definitely paying attention because I don't know how else the rest of the film plays out otherwise. <laughs> but uh yeah, we, we get the horrific, uh, you know, final ad and the mask kills the kid and then the wonderful bugs and snakes and everything else. And um, Mrs. Buddy just kind of passes out. Yeah, and I think she gets bit by snakes after that. I'm sure she does, but... Uh... <laughs> but yeah, I think she passes out from the horror. I love that her last thing that she says before she dies is like, we've already seen this one already. <laughs> Like, she's like, I know this ad. I've seen this. I one. just think this is all a great big joke. This is just yes. a big joke. And she's just so proud of herself and laughing at herself. It's, um, yeah. And then not even noticing. I, I love her comment. Don't sit too close to the screen. You'll ruin your eyes. <laughs> Instead yes. of, you know, the mask absolutely killing you and you're, Brain, your head with bugs. Yeah, your brain's being turned into bugs and snakes. Which is a very brutal kill. I yeah. I think that for a movie that's like not, I wouldn't say it's the most gory compared to a lot of films. I think each kill that they do have is like incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Each single one really like gets you where you're like, uh, oh, her face got melted off. Oh, they ripped out his skull. Oh, they turned that little kid's head full of bugs. We didn't even like, talk collapsed. about the town drunk getting his head ripped off of his yes! body oh, while his the other head. android holds him down by his shoulders. <laughs> it's gnarly. And I'm like, I think they did a really good job of of not having so many kills, but making the kills that they do have super impactful where you're like, oh my gosh, that is brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think my first time that i saw the dude get his head ripped off i'm like oh clearly he's got to be an android because you're going to be pulling some of his spine with him and it's just it's going to be a whole mess but then i'm like nah nah i i I can see that these things are probably strong enough to make this happen yeah oh yeah um And then we get all these wonderful shots of children around the country going about their trick-or-treating with their silver shamrock masks. And the Arizona shot of the backlit. Yes, that's my sunset. So that's the best. That is the one that's in my notes. The Phoenix Arizona (laughs) shot. Yes. Uh, and that's where they fade away and um cut back to uh Cochran. Or no, no, that's when they fade away to Teddy and her demise. Rest in peace, Teddy. Yeah, she gets that awful, awful drill that I'm sure has some purpose in a morgue, but 
Just, I had to drill open a skull. I, think. I, I guess it just feels like they maybe bought it at Home Depot. I don't know. <laughs> well, I I did read, and um, I think she mentioned this in an interview that the people who initially did the skull to her actually did injure her um, with it initially, and so. Well, the shot that you see, it's actually the director, Tommy yes. Lee Wallace, doing it to her because he was like, the, she was the only person, or he was the only person she would like trust. He was like, you guys are going to hurt her again. I'll just do it myself. And I'm sure he felt kind of awful about it to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to be the one that handles this because we got to get the shot and I'm going to be the one to make sure that it's very carefully done. But poor Teddy. It's yeah, poor Teddy. It's all Chalice's fault. Um, didn't even get a dinner or anything. She, all she had to do was poke some ashes with a eraser for like 48 hours straight. And then she got murdered. <laughs> move them from one side of the dish to the other and then back again. Yeah. Yep. It's definitely car parts. <laughs> <laughs> it's still car parts. You have been doing this for two days straight, lady. How have you not come to any other conclusions? Right. And she does right before she dies. Right. You see her have that like inspiration thought of like oh something's not right here and i'm mm-hmm. like if only you could have had this moment like several hours ago after you had been looking at those screws and springs for so long yeah. come on teddy yeah still poor teddy she did she didn't deserve to go out like this she deserved better yes uh then we get the lovely bond villain moment with cochran where he basically lays it all out for chalice and you know talks about you know the true origins of halloween and uh again wanting the hills to run red with the blood of children basically um it's great it's great and then we have him flip on the tv and we get the uh diegetic score which is Love that. Such a smart way to incorporate the iconic score and like mm-hmm. make those homages back to the first two movies. Yes, it works. It definitely works. In fact, I would have been happy if they had played out the rest of the film with some of that music, but still the score from this film itself is awesome. So it works. Um, so I want to see a contest of James Bond, probably like Connery era Bond throwing his hat onto the hat rack versus <laughs> chalice throwing the mask onto the camera. Um, now I understand that they took like multiple, multiple, multiple takes to get him to actually pull this off, but you don't see it all in one shot. It's cut. Yeah. I was, I was wondering the same thing because I had, I have heard that they did it initially in one in one shot, but they weren't rolling, right? When he practiced, he got it in one shot. And they were like, oh, well, you can do it. And then it took 46 more shots before he did it again. So they did for like 46 takes. And um, and but the shot is not a single take. So why did they yeah. need him to do it successfully if, if they're not going to show it in one take? So that's probably the kind of thing where, you know, that all came to fruition in the edit as far as like doing the cutaway but uh yeah it seemed a little so unnecessary <laughs> and it's I you do know like... also from down here just flinging it up and it just perfectly lands <laughs> it's kind of difficult i do like too when we see um when we see the mask over the, the camera from 
the robot's perspective. It almost looks like that first person Michael Myers perspective through the camera. Good call. Where it's like looking through the eyes. Yeah. And I think that's like a really fun little homage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one robot's like, um, sir, sir, tug, tug, tug. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's, you know, lawn suffering CEO stuck on the call with a client <laughs> that he just can't get off the phone from. Um, yeah. Uh, again, speaking of Bond, I'm getting like major on Her Majesty's Secret Service vibes uh, when uh, Atkins is escaping uh, through the facility and kind of sneaking yes. around here at the end. Uh, that that works for me. Um, and uh, yeah, okay. So he finds Ellie and he's like climbed through ventilation shafts and tried to squeeze his massive frame into that tiny little phone <laughs> booth area. And he's managed to get this far and he finds the chamber that Ellie's held in and she's just, you know, kind of strapped down and, you know, she's got some cool boots on and, you know, that's, yeah. and she doesn't say anything the rest of the movie, right? Oh no, no. Which is kind of perfect mm-hmm. uh, for how it plays out, but okay. So let's rescue Ellie, I guess. Um, it, yeah, that's absolutely in my notes now that um, she doesn't say a word for the rest of the thing. And um, also, okay, so they do their little sneak with the cart. The <laughs> yes. As they sneak by in the background where people are clearly looking in their direction and mm-hmm. nothing, nothing. But it's just part of the fun right it's it's very it scooby-doo it's it is it and it works i think because yeah. that's the vibe of the whole film i do have a question so i think next is kind of their plan what they do to um stop cochrane at least for the moment mm-hmm. is their plan is they're gonna take a bunch of the, the little seals mm-hmm. and they're gonna throw them on top of the robots for some reason do you think this is a good plan? Because we don't, you're, you're, you don't really know what's going to happen. Like if you were Dr. Chalice, I think I would just like GTFO. I don't think I would be yeah. coming up with a plan to kill Cochrane or all these robots. I would just leave. I don't know that he knows that everybody in the final processing area is a robot. I think hmm. his, his plan is to just try to shut down everything from the source. Although, I mean, it's clear that he understands this is an ad that has already been, you know, like delivered to, you know, the big three yeah. networks and, you know, it, it, that's something else to talk about later. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a plan. And it is a plan. <laughs> so, you know, he sneaks over, he punches in the code that he clearly memorized from when he watched the test earlier on. And everybody's like, what? Why is the ad playing? We didn't see anybody sneak in here. But Cochran sees him sneaking up the stairs. And do you think he's just, you know, kind of curious? Like, motherfucker, what do you think you're going to do? I, I got think this. so. And this is actually a characterization of him that I really like. So we actually skipped over something I really wanted to talk about earlier okay. and I didn't bring it up because I forgot, but this plays all back in because Cochran is a, is likes jokes. Like he thinks it's funny, like killing all of his plan to kill all of the kids in America is like a joke to him. Like he thinks mm-hmm. that's hysterical. And earlier buddy says, Oh my gosh, this guy is famous. 
Don't you, haven't you heard of him? He's in charge of all the most famous pranks, like the sticky vomit and the dead dwarf gag. The dead dwarf gag comment has haunted me forever. Because what joke is that? Is I I get putting fake vomit out, like oh, mm-hmm. you know, or surprise. sticky toilet paper, what? or any of that, yeah, or the sticky toilet paper. What? possibly be the dead dwarf gag i've racked my brain r and y is it just like a stuffed dwarf where you're like oh joe there's a dead dwarf in your room is that a joke i don't know oh no i forgot to feed him i mean what it it, it's it's weird it it haunts me it's such a it's such a specific and it's such a throwaway line but it's so specific in what it is yes. yeah it, i really want to know what a dead dwarf gag looks like and how it became one of the most famous pranks that this guy ever made that like everyone across america is familiar with this guy or at least the people that are in the novelty goods business um yeah, yeah. so maybe it's just famous in that community i i don't know maybe they have a subreddit who knows it's <laughs> possibly it's yeah but you're right you're right it's one of those throwaway lines that's so goddamn specific you're just like where where did this come from but anyway to like to tie this back to kind of what we were talking about of conquer yeah. not doing anything i do think he just wants to see how it plays out because he thinks it's going to be funny like he's like i don't think you could probably do anything but let's see because like this is a practice this is all just a joke to me i kind of have already won I can't imagine you doing anything to succeed or intercede in my thing. So like, mm-hmm. this is going to be hilarious. Let me see what you do. And I think it's so, that's why he ends up um, clapping later yeah. too. Cause he's like, Oh, you actually did do something. The- that's hilarious. And he, and he does a little clap yes. and he's like, uh, you succeeded. I'm glad you did that. Cause like, who cares? <laughs> I'm just here for the jokes. Yep, and then, well, you get that weird glowing ring about around all the goopy androids, and you know, the Stonehenge uh, you know, monolith starts glowing, and uh, you know whatever that power is, whatever that particle is that's inside there that Cochrane mentions, I don't think it's very happy. Um, mm. And so he gets taken, um, and Silver Shamrock burns. I love this shot in the background. It's probably just a matte painting or something like that. But it looks nice. Yeah, yeah I, like it I think it's pretty neat. Um, so it's time to get on the road. We we got to do something. We we got to save these kids. And what what's the point where she makes her attack? I think he makes like a specific comment or something like that, right? Yeah, I think it it is just in between, before he gets to the gas station. Um, so I thought something came on the radio and then she, she attacked him and they drove off the road. I think the radio comes on and they're like, oh, it's only 10 more minutes until the big giveaway or whatever. Um, yeah, and he's like, we got to do something. Back. And oh, she yeah. does something. So yes, my note is Ellie strikes. Um, so if this were a film from like the 2020s, we would bitch without end about how long this fight goes on and how it just I'm gonna bitch because I also think even for it, it is it is there's too many she comes back from the dead moments but that's what I, I like love at least about one it. too many it's what I love about it it's so much fun <laughs> and it's so over the top I love that she keeps coming back from the dead you get the hand you get the headless body it's 
But yeah, you're right. It does go on too long. I, but but it is. I think that is. You know, we've talked about tropes, right? You mentioned it earlier, and I think this movie does embrace a lot of tropes. Mm-hmm. And I think some of them work better than others. But I do think like there are a lot there that really make it a fun like homage to the entire horror genre because we have so many different things and that killer returning for one last scare sort of trope that you see is there and i think even if maybe it went on a little long for me it was really well done for what it is and it is something that you are are kind of like oh my gosh yeah this is such um such an iconic part of horror movies yep absolutely uh, but Chalice manages to get away. And uh, apparently, again, it's just a short hike to the gas station. Um, you know, we get the, the same gas station we saw at the beginning. Yep. Yep. Uh, which I, I guess is the gas station in the fog as well. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I read something somewhere about that. But, you know, we get the attendant. Hey, don't I know you? Um, <laughs> yep. Um, so. I know it's a different time. It's 82. But also, how does Chalice have the ability to call like somebody at one of the major three television networks in the country to try to get these ads pulled? Because it... I, I don't know. So I think like... And he gets two could. of them. Two of them. Yeah, he does get it. But he does also say, like, a bomb threat, basically, which I do think would work. So I used to actually, um, I've been, I've worked in a couple of new newsrooms, okay. not not television newsrooms, but print newsrooms. But I've, I'm familiar with television newsrooms, and I think there are a couple of ways you could get, like, a semi-direct line. I do feel like they probably wouldn't have taken him as seriously as they did. But he was, like, he's a doctor. It is, like, a small-ish, but it, just in a small town. I don't know. I agree with you that it is, like, how did he make it all the way through? Yeah. Because for... I feel like he was like, trying don't... to get it shut down nationwide because it was going yeah. to be running nationwide. You can't just, you know, call your local news to try to make it happen. Right. But So who's in charge of distributing? Because the person he was talking to was in charge of getting rid of it for all three stations. So I don't know what the primary oh. like hub is, hmm. right? Cuz he didn't he didn't like hang up and talk to somebody else. It was that same person. Okay, yep, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um that it's weird. It's and I know it's like movie logic and all that. And we're yeah. not really supposed to think that deeply about it all, but um uh, and, and you know it was fucking CBS that still ran it. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> They're like, our programming is geared towards the elderly anyways. So, you know. <laughs> no kids are going to be watching. Exactly. Um, but yeah. Oh, they did say earlier they had a 45 share, which is very impressive. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, three channels. 1982. What a time. Um, what a time. God. Tom, Tom Atkins yelling, stop it, at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. Such a phenomenal ending. I love that it ended on that cliffhanger of like, we don't know whether he got the third one pulled or not. You can see the the emotion on his face. Yeah, because he he knows his kids are probably going to die. See, he cares about his children after all. (laughs) He doesn't want to be with them, but he doesn't want them to die either. Exactly. He's like semi-caring. 
Um, so apparently the novelization ends with, uh, you know, some comment about the screams of the children and the towns and cities and the rest of the country. Um, so it's fairly clear there that, uh, plenty of people did see the ads, but I, I do love that. It's like open for interpretation in the yeah, unless you read the novel, yeah. which the novelization was actually more popular than the movie. So the novelization actually became a bestseller. Yeah. Um, when it came out, which is interesting, but I think it also in the novelization, they say that Cochran doesn't die. He just gets like teleported someplace else. Mm. And maybe that's how they got the, uh, the monolith there to begin with, because he's like, we had a mm. time getting it here. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, and I also understand, yeah, I don't know how they got it into the sub basements because I haven't seen any freight elevators. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think this is definitely one of those times where I'm kind of glad there's not question there are questions that are left unanswered because I yeah. think that makes the world more interesting, more exciting where it's like there's sometimes when films answer too many questions and I'm like I don't actually care how the Stonehenge got here. It's not important to the story. It doesn't actually affect anything for me. I'd rather have some of this stuff stay a mystery to mm-hmm. me so I can just like enjoy the the story that's at hand. Sure. Or if you did have to, you know, if you did have to give us some serious exposition, you know, do the show, not tell thing, you know, you don't have yeah. to, you know, just blah, blah, blah about it. Um, you know, actually give us a little bit more. You want more, you want like slightly more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Halloween three. It's, I love that everyone was so disappointed in um, how this movie performed and the you know general reaction of critics and horror fans in general. So they brought back Michael Myers for a film that ultimately did worse than this one. Yeah. Do you think, something I, I think about a lot, do you think this film would have still done poorly if it didn't have the Halloween moniker on it like if this had just come out as titled silver shamrock or some other thing not attached to michael myers would it have still done poorly because it didn't have sort of michael myers to bring people onto the halloween name or do you think people would have not been expecting a certain type of movie so they would have accepted a different type because i know there's a lot of sci-fi at that time that we love Mm -hmm. that wasn't well regarded blade runner did horribly the thing did do that well either Yeah. yeah The thing did awful. So I'm like, would it have still done poorly if it wasn't attached to the Halloween franchise? I or think it would, it would have, have had better? the chance to be more of a sleeper hit, potentially. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's gone on for uh, you know pretty decent cult status. Um, you know, yeah. It, it's still, you know, it, it's back to the old thing of film critics who are not horror fans writing reviews for horror films and shitting all over stuff. And that obviously continues to this day, but not to the same degree. I think, um, Mm. you know, you get plenty of people that are, you know, well, clearly they write for horror publications or websites or whatever that, you know, are rotten tomato certified critics and so on. And you will generally get a better opinion out of them um but yeah i i feel like the overall backlash just kind of killed this thing um 
So yeah, maybe not being associated, it would have had more of a chance at the time. I still think it would have gotten shit on by critics quite a bit because, you know, it was of a particular caliber of horror film from the era that would just get roasted by critics continuously. And yeah, definitely. But uh, I think it would have had a better commercial shot and maybe a better shot with the fandom. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's I a do, very good uh, question. I do appreciate that, you know, the the most recent Halloweens have also kind of shown some love to Season of the Witch. Mm-hmm. You can see that in both Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, they had the silver shamrock masks mm-hmm. in the movies. And I think that's a really nice little cute nod to being mm-hmm. like, we as the Halloween franchise still love this movie, um, even though it has something to do with Michael Myers. Like, it's a part of our franchise and yeah. I appreciate that. Oh, I did too. I, I think that's great. It's uh while Halloween kills just wasn't nearly as good as 2018. I still thought it was fun. I'm still very anxious to see how Halloween ends plays out. Um, Me too. It, it's going to be fun regardless of, you know, how we feel about the overall quality, you know, we'll watch it. It's, it'll be good. I just, I want, to not see Jamie Lee sidelined as much as she was in kills. I think that may have been like one of the bigger critiques ultimately. Um, just bring her back. She was such a badass in 2018. Yeah, she really was. Yeah. I'll also be happy if they don't say um, it ends tonight. Yeah, or evil whatever. dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with that phrase. <laughs> we can leave that one in the middle movie. Yeah. I mean, I, kind of get it too it was maybe a little bit of commentary on you know mob rule and so on uh, from recent times but um yeah it just didn't work for me either no um, yeah I, i'm anxious to see what people think about that film in the years to come because i'm sure it'll get revisited quite a bit uh you know right before halloween ends comes out um mm. I'll probably watch it again at some point before then. So I don't know. Um, But yeah, I I don't know that it deserved as much hate. I don't even know that it really got hate. It just wasn't as well received. I think it's hard, especially with franchises. And this kind of plays into a question I was going to ask you. Um, But I think everyone wants something different. Like what Halloween as a franchise means to you is like different than what it means to me. Like the best parts of it for you are different. So it is hard to please everyone because some people think of Halloween as a franchise with a lot of good kills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what they want. That's like their primary thing. And then other people think of Halloween as like a movie franchise that has um, really strong female heroines mm-hmm. in it. So like, that's what they want. And it's like to please everyone is hard because everyone kind of has a different version of like what Halloween as a franchise means to them. And all that is to say, like, where does Halloween three rank in your, your kind of list and ranking of the Halloween franchise? Is it like on the top half, bottom half? Do you feel like it's hard to put into place because it is the only one without Michael Myers in it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd still say it's, um, Probably in the top half for sure. It's um, yeah. I, I would go so far as to say that uh, it's like Halloween, Halloween 2018 season of the witch. Um, 
Oh, three I, is a good, a very respectable spot. Yeah, I, 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 I like it quite a bit better than um, than Halloween Kills, but I, I just have very little regard for, you know, the rest of the now non-canon sequels. Um, yeah, it's just so many of them are not great. Um, you know, it, I'm I'm sure they have their merits, and I my intention with this podcast was not to shit on film either. So, because let's <laughs> yeah. be fair, these people did it for reasons other than just getting a paycheck. There is clearly mm-hmm. some love involved with, uh, you know, what they put together. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I can't be that person. Um, but yeah, uh, I think, and I think that's similar to what I, what I was kind of saying, like, you can find if you can find joy in a something you like in a horror movie like i'm never going to be someone who says don't enjoy what you like i think you know the the texas chainsaw remake art new version just came out Mm -hmm. this weekend as we're recording this and it's been very divisive Mm -hmm. and i'm really happy for the people who like it and also know it might not be something that i like i haven't watched it yet so i'll let you know when i do right i need to give Um, it a whirl as well uh one of my favorite con comments on Twitter was uh, from Prince Jackson. He's like, what did you all think this was going to be? Right. And so I think it's like there, the thing, one of the things I love most about horror is there really is something for everyone. I think from whether you like something super gory, um, like a Texas chainsaw, which is super into the kills Mm -hmm. and gore. Or if you want something like very cerebral, like cerebral, like the witch or something like that, like, there is something for you and not everything is made for everybody, but you can find something Point three is certainly not for everyone, but it's definitely for me. And I love a lot of things about it. And I'm glad that we have, or that has so many different types of films. And even within the franchise, so many different types of Halloween films um, to like, to be able to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Final thoughts on Halloween three season of the witch. I think, um, you know, we've touched on a lot of stuff. I think it's definitely something that maybe if you watched it when you were a kid and you remember missing Michael Myers or you thought it was kind of hokey, like revisit it. I think seeing it as an adult, it's like such a different experience and kind of being able to remove it from the Halloween franchise and just appreciate it as a standalone thing. Mm -hmm. It really is such a fun experience. It's a really fun little sci-fi horror movie with some really cool kills. um, Some really like, yeah, fun, silly things going on, but never so silly that it takes away from the horror. Um, It is like a little dated as we talked about. I really, I really take back my timeless statement from earlier. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry to have done that to you. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, That it has some, some silliness, but I think the acting is all done really well. I like, even the unlikable characters are likable enough that I'm willing to spend some time with them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you know, a mystery there that's really fun and it's totally worth even watching just for the amazing cinematography, the great score and some just fun um, little kills and experiences. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better. Uh, 
Madeline, I think that just about covers it. We've yeah. uh, we've done a good hour and forty on uh, Halloween three. I'm 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 proud. Uh, I think this was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, we should do this again sometime if you're down. Definitely, um, definitely. Madeline, uh, if you're interested, where can people find you? Sure, you can find me. I'm at Mad Exposure on almost everything. I think pretty much everything. So if you check me out on Mad Exposure. I do a lot of Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you want to see some of my photos, Instagram's the way to go. Um, not as good as Dean Cundy, but I'm trying to be there every day. So, All right. Well, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Hopefully I'm able to be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spoopy, everyone. Mm-hmm.